Short disclaimer, this podcast is in no way affiliated with the Stars production or Diana Gabaldone. All views expressed are solely our own. Welcome to the Outlander Podcast, where the men are kilted, the women are winsome, and the whiskey is neat. Welcome to episode 75 of the Outlander Podcast. I'm Ginger. And I'm Summer, and we are in love with all things Outlander. Announcements this week. We did get a new shot from the Outlander Stars Instagram account, another behind-the-scenes picture i'm not exactly sure when this picture is it could be the hunt it could be the gathering do you have any clue what you think it might be no i don't know i can't tell either i just know i want one of those umbrellas like every umbrella that i've ever owned seems like it is far inferior to those we also got a sneak peek at episode 109 which will be airing as we all know in april (laughs) which is still months away but it was an interesting an interesting opening for the episode. It was very Jamie centric. In fact, there was no Claire at all in the in the brief sort of sneak peek they showed us. It basically was like Sam skipping stones on water and then there was a random blonde chick that kind of came out of the background. We didn't get a close up on her. I liked of course seeing Jamie. I loved the voiceover. Mm-hmm. I loved as it ended, I think it was a the fire was reflected in his eyes. I loved that effect. And I was a little bit surprised. I mean, overall, was I surprised that there was no Claire? Yes. However, when you listen to the voiceover, it's completely about Jamie. And Claire is not really important to what he's saying. She's part of the overall picture. But this, he's basically saying, this is when I became a man. Right. And that's that's his journey. Claire's involved in his life, but it's his own We don't need Claire there is what I'm saying. No, but it speaks to me that it's his journey to becoming a man before he ever encounters Mm -hmm. her. So this is, none of this story has anything to do with Claire. This is like Jamie's story. And that blonde that you mentioned, it could be Lyra or it could be perhaps, since it's about his past, the character that we're actually talking about have mentioned several times in the read-along a few chapters ago or last chapter was the Annalisa, his his first big crush, the one that he did the duel over. Though I guess Um, technically it could also be one of Dougal's daughters. I mean, I mean, it could be literally anybody. It appeared to be a very blonde, blonde woman with long hair, a little bit curly. I mean, I didn't even go that far into it, but I definitely saw long blonde hair. Well, it just wasn't like stick straight, is what I'm saying. It, it just didn't like fall. It had like a little wave to it or something. But that's what I remember. It, I only watched it a few times. I have not seen the slow mo version. But we only have a week left or so of January, and then we have February. I wonder what we'll get on February fourth. It's coming. It was also announced this week that the pre-order of the official Outlander Blu-ray DVD Season 1, Volume 1, will be available on March 3rd of 2015. So that's just when the pre-order is available. Have they said when it's going to be actually released? It says pre-order the blah, 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 available March 3rd. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's available March 3rd. You can, it's up for pre-order, pre-order now. Now what However, I've heard is I've heard people say, okay, I'm going to get it. I've heard people say, I'm not going to get it because I want to wait till the whole thing is released, which I get. Also, it's important to note, if I have not read it, but I've seen this mentioned several times, that the deleted scenes are only on the Blu-ray, not on the DVD. And apparently, it's from someone who spent a lot more time than I did looking at this announcement, there is room if you buy the Blu-ray and probably the DVD too. I didn't read it, but I'm assuming it's going to both. If you get it now, 
or get it when it's released, there's room in there for the other missing DVDs. So you can complete the collection once the second half of the season is available. It's being released with the intention of being filled in. That just seems so wasteful. Because they're going to have to package the second volume in some sort of packaging. And then if you receive that and then take it out and put it in the original packaging of volume one. But we don't know. We don't don't know what they're going to do. They may. You're right. I know absolutely nothing about what they're going to do. I'm just saying that that seems incredibly wasteful. But what I'm reading now is that it says it will be released on digital HD, which means for download. Yes. On February 9th, and then on Blu-ray oh, and yeah. DVD March 3rd. So I'm but imagining you can pre-order things. it now, like right now. So let me guess, which one are you going to get, Summer? Uh, I'm getting nothing right now. Oh. But some, sometimes down the line I will probably purchase the DVDs. The Blu-rays, excuse me. It was also announced this week that Outlander will have a panel at Paley Fest in, in March. March. I don't know exactly who's going to be there yet. It hasn't been announced, no. but it's nice. to, And we know some people who are... Who will be there? And the good news for all of us is it will be, I believe, live streamed, and it is in the evening. <laughs> so anyone and everyone—I uh, don't—I'm not sure about availability outside the U.S. That's always a question for the live streams. But it's nice that at least for those who can see it, it's being live streamed and it's in the evening, so you don't have to—not that you would necessarily miss work for it—but it's totally it's fit inable. <laughs> Summer just gave me a weird scrunchy face. But you in can fit it into your day, you know, with planning. We have more than a month's notice. So with planning, if it's important to you, and it may not be, it's something you can fit in your day. Especially if it's after 5 p.m. And that is announcements. So with that, we will move on to our read-along of Chapter 14, correctly titled, Meditations on the Flesh. So Fergus continues to borrow the letters, and Claire continues to copy them. You notice how I said borrowed? Technically, it is borrowing because he's returning them. <laughs> That's the, I mean, they were there was no permission given, which is usually what Means comes ahead of, ahead of borrowing oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the fact that he does give them back makes it seem a little less nefarious. We learned that most of the letters were notes from friends or they were bills. And sometimes it was something from Louise, which were saturated in her hyacinth scent. And Jamie refused to read these on the basis, first and foremost, that he had, there was a line, even he, as someone who was smuggling these letters or stealing these letters and going through them, he still had a line he wouldn't cross. And he said he would not read another man's love letters. And they were drenched in hyacinth scent, oil, perfume, whatever, and which made him sneeze like a a whatever. So he had a, a good few reasons. And... Thirdly, Louise tells Claire everything, so there was no point. Although it was kind of, I won't say an easy way out, but to me, the highest in the sand and making him go into convulsions would have been enough. Louise and Claire have become close friends, even though she was scatterbrained, Louise. Claire continues to work at L'Hôpital des Anges in the afternoons, and Mary Hawkins continues to accompany her. Connie mentions Mary Hawkins continues to accompany Claire to L'Hôpital, where she still shies away from wounds, but is, quote, useful at spooning gruel into people and sweeping floors. This work is apparently also a respite for Mary from court goings-on. And I can, I I get it. I I can see that. It was obvious as well. She's more of an introvert because of her... Speech problem? Her speech impediment. You know, she's obviously already not super comfortable 
speaking to people because she's... And that's in English or in French. Right. So, I mean, and it's... And her apparently, her... Her apparently. Apparently, her speech impediment is worse Mm -hmm. in French than it is in English. So, I wouldn't... I wouldn't want to spend any inordinate amount of time with people that were just going to make fun of me behind my back or in front of me. It was obvious that Mary hadn't been told about her upcoming engagement because she didn't react to the sight of the Vicomte Marigny. And also... She tells Claire she's in love. And it was most certainly not with the Vicomte. Hmm. Her highest praise of her new amour? He's so spiritual. Someone just made a face. You've got to well, say something. <laughs> I mean, as a, someone who's read the whole book, I mean, that all comes back later. But it's like when you read that the first time and, and you don't know who she's referring to, you're like, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> Then Mary goes on to tell Claire of the horror of French men. How could I marry a Frenchman? You don't know about Frenchmen? Oh, but of course you wouldn't. Your husband is so gentle and so kind. Mary was aghast at what Frenchmen reportedly did in bed. Claire said that there were only so many things that could be done in bed with a man, and the number of children in the city reflected that even Frenchmen knew what's what. Mary sees no connection in this. (laughs) Not yet. She will. Not yet. She will. She'd heard that, quote, Frenchman, put it between a lady's legs. I mean, right up inside her. That scene ends with Clara telling her that they need to have a chat. <laughs> Clearly. And and this times like this, I feel that Claire is 100% Diana Gabaldon. Mm-hmm. Like in her very medicinal clinical descriptions of things and and, you know, being informative without embellishment I feel that's very like Diana Gabaldon for me (laughs) especially if you've ever seen her speak in person like she's like she can write flowery and have that in her but like for her she's very very clinical very this is what's gonna happen this is what happened and and don't try to read outside of that that stuff is irrelevant this is what happens LNG writes oh my I would have loved to see this scene in the buggy on the way to L'Hopital Claire telling Mary all about everything no one told her whilst growing up about this? Well, this is the 18th century, and if I'm not mistaken, even into the Victorian age, it was common for at least well-born young ladies not to know anything about anything. I think it all depends on your parentage. Well-born means... Means they all had their own rooms and didn't have to share one giant room with everybody, because when you share one too. giant room with your whole you family, you everything. know everything. Later at L'Hopital, Claire sees Monsieur Faure, who worked mostly as a bone setter. Connie writes, Faure, the verb, means to drill, as in drill a hole in French. Dirty. Summer. <laughs> LNG writes, A bit of the scientist our Diana is, showing us, I would say, a good representation of skilled medical work. The beginning of this section was speaking to the people who came to L'Hopital to experiment on their ideas. It seemed that Monsieur Faure had a good knowledge of the nervous system of a human being along with anatomy. I wonder why. And then in parentheses, she writes, My eye is stuck in the blinking pattern. For those who have not read the book and know who Monsieur Faure really is during the day. Though I'd be willing to bet he'd be available at night (laughs) if they called him. (laughs) There's an emergency? Yes. This does happen, like emergency, for what he at does. At the hospital? No, I'm or his day job. About his day job. Would there be like an emergent? This has to happen tonight. I don't know. I, I don't know. know. We can't talk about it yet, but uh, I mean, we could, but we're not going to. Let's, let's just say he will. We will revisit him. Oh, for sure. He's going to come up creepy, again and again. But it's it has to do with his great knowledge of anatomy, dude. 
Oh, this is very greasy. Aww. <laughs> Sorry, that's gross. This day he was working on a young man who had suffered a bad fall with two compound fractures, one of the tibia and one of the femur. She loved, meaning Claire, Claire loved to watch him work. She likens him to a crow, slowly circling the patient, sidling back and forth, a prominent beak of a nose, and smooth black hair and black clothes. He had Claire assist him with holding the patient and providing traction so they could reset the leg. And he did not realize that Claire wasn't a sister. He was so concent- he was concentrating so much on the task. And she was wearing, like, the robes. Uh, not over her dress. Over her dress, But yes. just, but no, um, well, of no of course wimple, she would. No veil. I wouldn't want to wear my no. nice, fancy lady dresses to get, like, bled on and, like, vomited on and peed on or whatever else these patients okay. may or may not la, do. la, la, la. Connie writes, most nuns are called sister, and traditionally many, many nuns acted as nurses as part of their vocation, but other nurses used to be called sister, not meaning in a religious sense. In England, just in the last 10 years, there has been some move to changing the title of ward sister, a nurse who manages a ward, to ward manager. So Monsieur Forêt gave his patient a stimulant to reduce bleeding while they work on him, and then pulls out a brass pin to drive into the nerve plexus to mostly deaden the feeling in the leg while they worked on it. The whole brass pin thing freaked me out when I first read it. And if it's been, if it's too long between my rereads, it still, it freaks me out again. I understand his explanation, but wow. I mean, I mean it I'm happy like, it works, it but it seems like, like super, he was lucky. <laughs> well, he even himself said that <laughs> he was lucky, I mean. but it seemed like super rudimentary acupuncture. Oh. I mean, it was like in the basis form, like a brass tack, like he's using a... First of all, why brass? Is brass, like, hypoallergenic more so than, like... Because I don't think that has stainless, stainless steel. steel. <laughs> the best part is that Claire is suitably amazed. So when Claire is amazed, it gets my attention. Because she's obviously ahead of them medically, so, in training. Yes and no. From her, I mean, from her time. Like, she has she doesn't more... know everything. She has more advanced by, like, the era... Mm-hmm. But she may not, she doesn't know everything about medicine at this point. She has more knowledge, like, in germ theory and using, I don't know if they used, I don't think they had universal precaution in the 40s, but my point is, her knowledge of basically, of infection, etc., and microorganisms, etc., would have been ahead. But the function, uh, yeah, she definitely well, didn't know the history of everything. No, but I think she had a more of a of a larger grasp of the why and yes. the how than they did. Whereas they somehow stumbled upon treatments that happened to work. Mm-hmm. I think is how I feel about it. When they were done, Monsieur Foray realized she wasn't a nun. She was in a hurry as it was almost dark and Jamie would be getting worried and upset. He is, meaning Monsieur Foray, he is so shocked at her disrobing that he has to try a few times before he says exactly what he wants to say. He asks who she is, and she gives him her last name. He insists on seeing her home in his carriage. Fergus, who is waiting for her, is downright twitchy. I feel very bad for him at this point. Connie also shared that Fergus, a character who popped up as a mushroom, is still one. In Diana's own words... On, from Twitter, mushrooms tend to stay that way, but they do ripen and spread their gills with time. And we'll provide a link to Diana's description of different character types, mushrooms, onions, etc. Connie also writes, Fergus has taken over escort duties from Murta, seeing Claire to and from L'Hopital. 
Monsieur Faure dismisses the efficacy of Fergus's protection by saying, quote, this section of the city is much too dangerous. And then in brackets, she writes, foreshadowing, for you to be abroad with no more than a child for protection. The way Diana describes Fergus getting into the carriage, quote, ignoring Fergus's yapping, Monsieur Faure picked him up and tossed him casually into the waiting carriage. I mean, that, that <laughs> is something that you should take into consideration when you send a child to protect a grown person. That he can be thrown into a carriage? That he's... He's small. Small. And he was small. Like, he was, like, yeah. an undersized, small... Child. Little French child. Little French child. <laughs> undersized, little, small. You use three All synonyms. Hey, Fergus, I, I want to drive it home, and you always do things in You want to drive it home like that brass tack? No, not no, I don't have brass nail. No, but you notice he had a hammer and a brass tack. They were all made of brass. Like not, he had a brass a set. A brass nail or something. Whatever it was. But it was a set of brass. Oh, brass right. hammer, brass tack, brass whatever. Fergus sulks all the way home. When they arrive, Fergus jumps out and runs inside. And then uh, shortly thereafter, Jamie appears. I love it when he uses his, and it happens more than once, and it's throughout pretty much almost every book, I think. I love it when he uses his resigned tone in response to something about Claire's passion for helping people <laughs> medically. <laughs> He's like, sigh, you know, okay, yes, I know, she's a saint, blah, 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 I know. And then he does say here, after all, you couldn't expect a mere husband to hold the same sort of appeal as an inflamed bowel or a case of bilious spots, could you? No, you couldn't. Not for somebody who's medically inclined. Poor Fergus is expecting and requests punishment. He thinks he has betrayed Jamie's trust by allowing her to be accompanied home by Monsieur Faure. Once again, Claire is given something to think about regarding a choice she has made without really thinking. In this instance, though the action was innocuous enough, Fergus truly was unable to do his job, and the boy was afraid that he'd loot his... <laughs> what? Ludus? Ludus? Ludus is where the gladiators practiced. <laughs> Sorry. In this instance, though the action was innocuous enough, Fergus truly was unable to do his job, and the boy was afraid that he'd lose his place in the house and perhaps be turned out on the streets. Well, look at the outcome. I mean, the, well, the not the outcome, the... Where he came from. No, not even that. Look at the... There's a word. There are lots of words. I know, but it's a specific <laughs> one. Look at the... What is it called? You want to come back to it? Nope. I'm going to stay here for a second. I'm going to come up and look at the... Look at the... Is that my kitty in your lap? It is your cat. I'm going to... Alternative. Look at the alternative. He was living in a brothel on the streets. Catch his catch can. And then he gets this opportunity to come work for this... Not really highborn gentleman, but somebody who's basically going to give him three squares and a place to live and warm and new clothes. All he has to do is do what he's and been all doing he has before. to do is do what he's told. Pickpocket. And for well, him to and yeah. for him to to not be able to follow through to the letter of what he was asked to do, and he just feels like this is the end. I will do anything to not have to go back to mm -hmm. like living in a brothel. Claire says that if anyone deserves a beating, it's her. Jamie eyes her and says, yes, well, since I've already promised to never do so again, Fergus would have to be the one. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to, of course, but it was a way Fergus and the rest of the household staff would see things, a wrong, righted. As serious and utterly silly as this situation is, Jamie tries to keep things straight. Am I decent? Perhaps I should go and fetch my coat. I'm not sure what's proper for administering rebukes. <laughs> Claire says he looks fine, and he replies, oh, that's good. 
He says he hopes he doesn't laugh. Poor Fergus has been crying, and now he steps forward and says how ashamed and unworthy he is. He begs not to be dismissed. He wants his punishment. He stretches himself out over the table, and the butler hands Jamie a leather strap. Claire starts to step back, and Jamie says, basically, no That's way, so Jose. This is, it was just like, wow, that escalated quickly. Like, he shows up, and he's just like, I'm going to rebuff you because you need it, and this is for you and not so much for me, but you obviously need this to feel okay to be. And the staff is to seemingly stay, to need Right, it. to stay the in your whole... position, but he's like, okay, I'm stepping up. And then it was like, everyone was like, strap him on the table. Here's the whip. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> then Jamie, seeing no way around it, steps up and assumes the role of Milor. He, quote, glares ferociously and says he'll give ten strokes and wants no fuss. Poor Fergus didn't make a sound. Claire felt sick. And at the same time, Diana writes, I felt an unhinged urge to laugh at the terrible farce of the situation. <laughs> now, wait. Before you say anything, Summer, haven't we all been in a situation where we wanted to explode with laughter at the most inopportune time? I do usually, I mean, not not a lot, but in moments where it has occurred, I definitely laugh. And I've always called it hysterical laughter. You just can't, you can't control it. Right. Have you ever experienced that? I don't know if I've ever experienced hysterical laughter. I've found things <laughs> humorous. <laughs> I have gallows humor. So yeah. I have found things humorous that are definitely inappropriately, humorous, inappropriately humorous. humorous that other people do not find funny to where I have to like step away, even just like hold it in and not make it happen. So <laughs> while I don't think it's hysterical laughter in the sense that you've had hysterical laughter, I have been present at an episode of your hysterical laughter. You've been present at two of them. One you may not remember. One that you may remember was when... We were in a group of five, and we were mugged. Oh, I remember that. The and guy who the guy. said he had a gun, but just didn't show us any gun. But, you know, you're not going to take any chances. I, I laughed at our mugger. I remember. <laughs> I didn't know. I, it was so, like, it wasn't happening. Well, it was I'm, so I'm fairly sure ridiculous. that I kind of laughed at it just a little bit, just for the sheer fact that I was like, dude, you just approached five people. Five <laughs> Five girls who are high school age who clearly have no money of their own. Mm -hmm. Why would you think you would get anything off of us? None of us have credit cards. None of us have debit cards. I'm like, the most he got off us was like driver's licenses. I'm like, enjoy. Enjoy this now, driver's someone, license. One of Here's our, my ticket. One of our friends threw like a few dollar bills at his feet. I remember that. Point being is that it was like the worst like target of a mugging. Yeah, like. we're not talking about whether it was smart or not. I'm talking about whether it was appropriate. It was not appropriate for me to laugh. I couldn't help it. I definitely have. You were also not in the front of the group. I, however, was. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> I also remember that the purse I had, okay, I remember this. The, the coat I had had such big pockets that the purse I had was small-ish. It fit in the pockets. So I remember saying something like, I don't have a purse <laughs> Lied. You lied. lied. Look. Okay. But for the record, all he got for me was like tickets to the opera we had just seen. Stubs. I had nothing. Stubs. He got ticket stubs. That's it. So after he's done, Jamie is nervous. He says to Fergus, Are you all right, man? Fergus, tell me you're all right. Fergus smiles. Oh, yes, my lord. Am I forgiven? My heart breaks for Fergus. Then he practically prostrates himself before Claire and begs, for her forgiveness. The rest of the servants take Fergus off to a hero's reception, as Diana puts it. 
LNG writes, I was wondering during the rereading of this chapter if the PTSD that Jamie is dealing with came up during the punishment. It didn't go as Jamie would have liked it to. The men of the staff created the environment that Jamie would have to follow. They set the punishment scene up, much to Jamie and Claire's dismay. And she says, I wonder how many of them understood English. Like I said, that whole scene escalated very quickly. Yes. She says, I love the use of English in this scene. Almost funny, except if you put it in perspective, it really shows how Jamie and Claire feel about what they are made to do. Jamie and Claire return to their rooms upstairs, and Jamie is drained. He needs a drink. He finds a bottle of scotch in a cupboard. See, that's one thing is that we were drained. I mean, we weren't what? having to hit a little person. But we were... Stop it. A little person? A little Fergus. Like Warwick Davis? Little a little person? Fergus person. Like a child. Just say a child. Anyway, a Fergus. But after Effergus? after our mugging... Stop it. After our mugging and my hysterical laughter, I don't know if we were drained. You we, we were definitely drained. We, our adrenaline was shot high and then, and then it went down and then whatever. But we did not have the luxury of being able to turn to the drink. We were like, what, 16, 14? Probably. We were, we were babes in Toyland. There was no toys. Jamie finds a bottle of scotch in a cupboard. They both drink. And I think it's safe to say they both feel like idiots. <laughs> I think of this entire Fergus scene as being symbolic of first-time parents. The circumstances were quite far-fetched, but both Jamie and Claire did what they thought was right. And their decisions weren't necessarily bad or wrong. But in giving specific instructions to Fergus, a young boy who thinks literally and takes his instructions to heart allowances aren't made thus to bring him back into the fold as it were it was as if fergus needed to be punished or he felt the need so that in his mind in his world he paid for his misstep and things could be put to right then jamie reflects on how he thought it was harder for him to take his father's beating than it was for for his father to give it but now he knows differently he says being a father might be might be a bit more complicated than I thought. I'll have to think upon it. I'm like, what? Like, maybe the baby, you'll decide not to have the baby come out? <laughs> I mean, you, you have some time to think about it, but you can't really do any considering about changing your mind. A little late now, sir. That's kind of it. <laughs> I don't know what else. That's what I got. But I love the fact that he's. she's like, don't drink too much. And he's like, oh, there's another one in the cabinet. Yeah. It's, no, no. She's like, don't think too much. Because we're gonna basically, I guess, run out of, run out of alcohol, and he goes, "Oh no, there's more." Yes, <laughs> there is more. Always. I guess that's it. That's the chapter. Yeah. So that is chapter fourteen, meditations on the flesh. Uh, come back next week when we will discuss chapter fifteen, which is entitled "In Which Music Plays a Part." All words I can I'm easily guessing pronounce. Guessing that Herr Gerstmann may, may be back. I believe Herr Gerstmann will make an appearance, yeah. Oh my goodness. No? Okay, sorry. So, since we are a, a tad bit not on the long side this week. Nope. We thought it might be a nice treat to share our intro-outro music in its entirety. We've never actually shared that. The song is called She Moved Through the Fair by Mooncoin, and it's from their album A Cup of Tea.
dreamt it last night that my young love came in so softly she entered her feet made no dear she came close beside me and 
Visit our website at www.outlanderpod.com. Follow us on Twitter at OutlanderPod. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash outlanderpod or email us at outlanderpod at gmail.com. <laughs>